I got a little ranting to do about the government shutdown. A couple different things about the government shutdown, including, well, yeah, the stupid blame game that we played as as a people and as our politicians did right in front of our faces and what we need to do to better ourselves out of it. One of the issues that seemingly caused the lockdown, now Donald Trump is pledging to work on that issue. Is it really going to get worked on, though? And is it going to get worked on the right way? Who knows? All this and a little bit more coming up, including Philadelphia Eagles talk. So get ready and tighten your seatbelts. This is FritzCast. It's Friday, January 26th, 2018, and this is another week. Of the Fritzcast, how are y'all doing today? I, for one, am very tired. And the reason I'm very tired is... Well, it's a plethora of reasons, really. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, Monday Monday night into Tuesday morning, I got frozen on the 12 to 8 shift. Okay, so that, was, that wasn't that was so bad. That was expected. Um, and it was the first time I've been frozen in a, in a little while. So it, not that... Huge of a deal. The huge deal comes in when I had to leave work, you know, Wednesday night, go home, get some sleep, wake up, drive down to Dover by 9 o'clock in the morning, which is a 45-minute drive, drive all the way down to Dover for a 15-minute interview, not 50-minute, 15-minute interview for a position in an apartment. Just you know, just you know, just trying to expand my horizons, you know, uh, better myself as an employee and better myself as a person, you know. You know that's why I drove forty-five minutes for a fifteen-minute freaking interview, you know. Um, that so that was a little insane. Like that's a lot of time. That's a you know, practically just call it an hour. Drove an hour to interview for a quarter of an hour, and then drove an hour back home. Then proceeded to get a little bit of a nap in. Go to work, and I had to work 12 to 8 this very morning. Uh, that was paying back a shift trade, and shift trades are uh, shift trades are always worth it to get the day off that you want until you go pay it back. That's the that's the that's the catch with a shift trade because it's essentially you're working for free. Not not really so much anymore because they make us clock in for our shift trades now. So it's it's you've exchanged days of when you're working and getting paid. I think is how it is is really how it works now. But I wanted the I wanted championship Sunday off. I wanted off for the you know Philadelphia Eagles game. Which uh, you know by the way, in case you didn't notice, the Philadelphia Eagles are going. No oh, no wait 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 wait. We need sound effects. Ladies and gentlemen, your 2017 NFC champions, the Philadelphia Eagles. On Sunday, February 4th, they take on the AFC champions, Power Mega House, the New England Patriots. And sidebar, by the way, the theme is Empire's Fall. Because you know what? Factually speaking, Empire's Fall. Think about some of the greatest empires on the face of the earth. The Roman 
Empire, the Mayan Empire, the uh, the what uh, the Japanese had a had a pretty pretty good empire, the British Empire. Uh, and what happened to all these empires? Well, they they fell eventually, and that those em- like empires in general that can extend from from governmental empires and continental empires and you know possibly NFL franchise empires. I'm not, but there's no need for crap talk. Sunday, February fourth, the Super Bowl is going to be. One hell of a game, and I am very, very pumped that the Eagles are in it. We're not going to focus too much in this episode on the Eagles. I'm actually going to package together something completely standalone, Philadelphia Eagles, to go over this this crazy whirlwind of a 2017 season that led the Eagles back to the Super Bowl, an unprecedented Cinderella story that we're not finished yet. Now, of course, I got carried away with all that. I needed that day off, so I had to shift trade with somebody on 12 to 8. So they worked for me Sunday night. I just paid it back this very morning, which anytime I work 12 to 8 is excruciatingly painful. And it is hard to get through. But I got through it. I got through it, and I'm alive, and I'm well, and I don't have to do it for the Super Bowl because I'm off that week. Which is going to be beautiful. But the the case in point was that I was very busy this week. I was a very busy man. And not only that, but th- this week of, of all weeks to be that busy with all the crap that was going on in the news. Which we will get to very shortly. Very shortly I have some, some pretty, I, I don't know, maybe it's just ranting. Maybe it's just anger. But I I gotta tackle some of the subject of it and get it off my chest, as they say. I'm very excited to say I've talked to a couple people over the past week too about the podcast and about uh, possible projects and all that. Can't go into detail just yet about those because we have to actually see if if this is gonna come together and work out. The way that we want it to, you know, you don't want to announce something and not have a plan for it. Kind of like Vince McMahon uh, yesterday announced that the XFL was going to return in 2020. The XFL, if you don't know what the XFL is, it's a defunct football organization that Vince McMahon, owner, operator, CEO of World Wrestling Entertainment, he started it up back in, I want to say, the early 2000s. And in fact, a quick glance at the Wikipedia page shows that it was founded in 1999 and played one season, one inaugural season in 2001. And the owners were, at the time, World Wrestling Federation, who we all, I mean, if you didn't know that, WWF got sued by the World Wildlife Foundation and had to switch over to World Wrestling Entertainment. So they owned 50%. NBC owned 50%. And after a pretty good debut, they had a pretty good debut of uh, the first XFL game. But then the ratings tanked and they lost millions of dollars. I'm talking in a 30 million dollar range. 
is what they lost. And uh, you know, at the at the inauguration of that season, that for that first and only season, there were eight teams, two divisions, and um, I think there was only uh, I think there was only ten games and a playoff structure. I mean, I I can't imagine what it's like to start a, a sports organization when you've got nothing and your your competition is the NFL which is just a mega house of a of an organization. Now, why you know, a lot of people are speculating that Vince McMahon decided to launch the XFL back up and he, he's plotting for this 2020 opening and a lot of people say that it's because of the quote the massive uh ratings crash of the NFL. Uh, over the kneeling protesters, over the kneeling football players who disrespect our flag and our anthem and our servicemen and women. That is why, you know, oh, Vince McMahon. And now some people on the Internet, it's very funny, very troll level. They are talking about how great the XFL will be and how the XFL will crush the NFL and those stupid kneelers. Now, here's the, here's the deal with that. Here's the deal with that. The NFL kneeling controversy, to me, is the biggest fake news probably of all time. Probably of all time. You see, one of the things that people fail to compromise with in this day and age, it's 2018, and digital streaming platform is one of the highest in-demand things. People are cutting cable cords left and right, and you know what? Hard, you know what's hard to do? It's hard to gauge viewership when people don't have a box that can be pinged and they know who's watching when they're watching. That's part of it. Part of it is the fact that NFL ratings have been in a slight slump anyway. And part of it is because of the digital technology era. Listen, this is I'm ripping this from a CNN news article right now that says, you know, Despite a loss in viewership, the NFL still brings in the biggest ratings on TV by a huge margin. Both the championship games this past Sunday had more than 40 million viewers turning in, which makes the matchup some of the most watched programming on TV in the last year. Fox noted that roughly the roughly 42.3 million viewers that watched the Eagles-Vikings game on Sunday night registered as Fox's highest-rated and most-watched broadcast on the network since Super Bowl 51. The 44.1 million who watched Sunday's AFC Championship game made that the most-watched and highest-rated TV program since last year's Super Bowl programming. Which means that all these groups, all these organizations that want to attack the NFL for kneeling football players, not standing for the anthem. Something that the the something that the federal government, the United States federal government, paid the NFL to have these grandoys patriotic showings to boost patriotism and to boost military image. All these groups that want that want to scrutinize that are talking about, oh, the massive ratings uh, drop for the NFL because uh, Americans are tired of the of the kneeling millionaires playing a game. That's not that's not entirely it's not entirely a true narrative. 
And it's a cooked up it's a cooked up controversy anyway because for the past two and a half, three months, you haven't seen one news story about a kneeling football player because the NFL met and talked about putting, you know, a squash on it. And now they're now they're sitting in the boards talking about how the players aren't going to come out for the national anthem anymore anyway. It's something that they're debating. Because for a long, long time they didn't. It happened after 9-11. It happened after 9-11 for an image boost for the war on terror. Now, I get it. Some people don't like... Some people see it as disrespect, and that's fine. And if you don't want to watch the NFL because of it, fine. That That's fine. I'm the type of guy who's like, well, it's their First Amendment. I don't like them. I don't support that idea. But it's their right to do it. And it doesn't... I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're viewing or not. The NFL's still making mega money. And part of the reason that the NFL makes mega money, and you can look this up on PolitiFact when Donald Trump talked about the NFL getting a massive tax breaks, PolitiFact ruled, said, Trump said the NFL is getting massive tax breaks. Since 2015, the NFL hasn't benefited from a not-for-profit tax break enjoyed by many professional sports league offices. However, it does enjoy tax exemptions on municipal bonds used to build stadiums. Other sports leagues also benefit from this tax code loophole, sometimes to a greater extent. So, yes, sports organizations in general save money on taxes, which is, you know, look at that. Look how much a a city is willing to spend on a sports stadium because of, quote, the economy. To boost the economy and bolster the economy, think about what it'll do for the economy. That's why multi-million dollar stadiums get built sometimes on the backs of taxpayers, which... Again, it's something that I don't necessarily agree with. I'm still a fan of football. I'm still a fan of hockey. You're not going to take that out of me. But but everybody claiming that the NFL is just in the, in the crapper, no. The, the ratings for the AFC Championship game this year was only down 5% compared to the early game last year, which was the NFC game, the Green Bay Packers versus the Atlanta Falcons. All right, and the NFC Championship game in the evening slot was down 12% compared to the Steelers versus the New England Patriots last year. And not only that, but by halftime, the Eagles and the Vikings game was essentially a blowout, which probably made some people tune out. Diehard Eagles fans, yeah, we kept watching because, A, you guys hate us, and, B, we were going to the freaking Super Bowl. We were crushing the team that everybody said we didn't stand a chance against. That's been our whole season. That plays a, that plays a factor into ratings in the football world. The matchup. Some people are sick and tired of the New England Patriots and didn't tune in simply because of the Patriots. So the NFL being hurt by this NFL boycott because they don't stand for our troops. It hasn't been an effective movement. It has been one of the it has been right in line with the Donald Trump I'm going to talk it up and make it something even though it's nothing. That is exactly what the NFL boycott movement was. And I'm not trying to dishearten those people that are doing it. If, if you feel that strongly that 
somebody watching the NFL isn't a patriotic person, doesn't love their country because of football players kneeling during the anthem. That's your choice. That's not the way that I see it. And plus, the Eagles are in the freaking Super Bowl. There's nothing that you could really do to tell me to tell me anything to not watch on Super Bowl Sunday. Pretty much. So, if that's a if that's a core reason Vince McMahon chose to relaunch the XFL, I mean, well, here's the announcement. Here's the announcement that was made yesterday. The new XFL will kick off in 2020. Quite frankly. We're going to give the game of football back to fans. I'm sure everyone has a lot of questions for me, but I also have a lot of questions for you. In fact, we're going to ask a lot of questions and listen to players, coaches. We're going to listen to medical experts, technology executives, members of the media, and anyone else who understands and loves the game of football. But most importantly, we're going to be listening to fans. So I'd ask that, uh, well, the question of what would you do if you could reimagine the game of professional football? Would you, for instance, eliminate halftime? Would you have fewer commercial breaks? Would the game of football be faster? Would the rules be simpler? The new XFL will be fan-centric with all the things you like to see and less of the things you don't. And no doubt, a lot of innovations along the way. We will present a shorter, faster-paced, family-friendly, and easier-to-understand game. Don't get me wrong, it's still football, but it's professional football reimagined. Since we're launching in 2020, we have two years, which is plenty of time to really get it right. We intend to start conservatively with eight teams, 40-man rosters, a 10-game regular season and postseason featuring two semifinals and, of course, a championship game. Now, what about the players? As you know, there's a wealth of talented players that we can draw from, but in the XFL, the quality of the human being is going to be as important as the quality of the player. Our approach to presenting games will be multi-platform, which will allow us to engage fans and customize the viewing experience in ways that we're never imaginable just a few years ago. You'll be able to watch the XFL on big screens, mobile devices, and everything in between. Thank you again for joining us. We appreciate your interest, and if you have any ideas, please send them along our way because we are listening. The new XFL will be, it'll be a game that's reimagined. Reimagine the game of professional football. Now, I could tell you all about my feelings of the first XFL. (laughs) Some people were fans. Some people were fans, and some people will probably be fans of this, but you can already see who he's trying to target, who he's trying to tailor this to, and it's to that crowd of, you know, the, the kneelers. Those goddamn kneelers! I would watch football if it wasn't for that man taking his constitutional right to protest that I'm disgusted by if it just wasn't for that. That is what this is being built on. It's being built on, oh, hey, I'm going to do the XFL. Like, this is Vince McMahon. We're going to reimagine professional football because we're going to say that politics won't be involved, that less commercials will be involved. Well, I can already tell you that one's BS. 
All right. If you got a product, especially in this world, that all a lot of revenue comes from advertisements. All right. Advertisements. Money, 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 money. Big money to say, no, we're not going to do advertisements. So are you guys who are excited about the XFL, are you willing to cough up a pretty penny to watch it? Is it is it going to be on television or is it going to be on something that is part of a standard cable package? Or are you going to have to look at getting some type of, some type of WWE network-like pass? And are you really going to do that for a league that bombed horribly the first time around? Not only that, but... Vince McMahon's statement there, Vince McMahon for being a professional, thought-out individual, sounds like he sounds like he was just been kicking around this idea like, you know, ah, bring back the XFL, wouldn't it be great to get a football league going and have some competition for the NFL? A guy wants competition for the NFL who doesn't want competition for the WWE, or at least for a very, very, very long time did not want competition for the WWE. That's funny. That's funny. However, let's let's look at the verge of it. He is tailoring a company where he says he'll listen to fans. That might be something going for him because among the people's gripes of the NFL, it's not really the kneelers, it's not really the protest, it's not really anything like that. The people's biggest gripes of the NFL is the officiating and the overregulation of the game. They hate how many times they see the yellow flags thrown and think that it's a BS call. That is what people's biggest gripes in the NFL are today. Officiating and overregulation of the game. So Vince McMahon ha- might have something going on for the XFL. He might have something to work at if he focuses on those primary things. Then comes into the question, can he build a brand that makes it interesting. Can he really do innovations? Can he really change the game of professional football more than the NFL has throughout the past years? So that being said, it, it doesn't launch until 2020, so he has, as you heard him say, plenty of time to get it right. Um, hopefully, hopefully you think it out well enough. Because I can already tell you, obviously you got a small. Obviously you have to start small. So I get it. You're starting with eight teams, forty man rosters, ten game season, playoff and championship. You got to make it interesting though, and it can't just stay at that because nobody's going to be interested in a league that only has eight teams. They're just not. But at the same token, too, all you doubters out there of the XFL. Oh, oh God, here goes Fritzy switching again. Those doubters of you of the XFL, this is also the day and age of the internet era and streaming and all that. Niche markets get demand. Niche markets stay alive. The Netflix, Hulu, all these digital servicing, Sling TV, it has bolstered consumership of media because people can pick and choose what they want and get what they want. So if somebody wants the XFL, if enough people want the XFL, oh yeah, it'll it'll be around this time and it'll stick around. But I'm not I don't have a I don't have a stake to claim in this. I really don't because the Philadelphia Eagles are in Super Bowl 52 and that's the important thing, guys. That's the important thing. Moving on though. The government shutdown. That's what we need to talk about now. And I've already talked about how I think uh, it, it was a little bit childish, but you know, just just for perspective, 
a lot of people, especially millennials, think like that the government shutdown is an unprecedented event. It's not. All right. Vox put out on January 19th an article about 18 previous government shutdowns. 18 previous government shutdowns. How about shutdown number one, September 30th to October 11th, 1976, Gerald Ford. All right, the Senate was a Democrat majority, and the House was a Democrat majority. And why was it? Because Ford vetoed a funding bill for the Departments of Labor and Health and Education and Welfare. Or it could have shutdown number two, September 30th to October 13, 1977, under President Jimmy Carter. Again, Democratic Senate and House control. And why? Because the Senate wanted to loosen restrictions on the use of Medicaid dollars to cover abortions. The restriction formally, informally known as the Hyde Amendment by allowing funding in cases of rape, incest, and when the health of the mother is in danger. Shutdown number three came October 31st to November 9th, 1977. Again, Carter. Again, Democrats still in control. Why? Putting the abortion dispute didn't work. Punting the abortion dispute did not work. It came back. This gap ended when Carter signed yet another short-term extension. And you're going to notice that the pattern is short-term extensions. Because it happened again under Carter in 77. Again under Carter in 78. Again under Carter in 79. Under Ronald Reagan in 81. 82. Twice in 82. Once in 83. Once in 84, twice in 84, once in 86, once in 87, once in 1990 under George H.W. Bush, once in 1995 under Clinton, again in 96 under Clinton, 2013 under Barack Obama, which should go to show you that, you know, the government didn't shut down during George W. Bush. This is ridiculous, but the government does it all the time typically over a fight over funding things. Typically. But here's my question. And I, I this, is, this is where I truly just, I don't understand. From what I can tell, the shutdown came because Democrats were upset that... There had been no resolution on DACA because Trump had said that he wasn't going to extend it or renew it. This left some, what, 600,000 dreamers, as the Democrats love to call them. I mean, obviously, to talk about these things, you have to attach emotional things to them. So these are the dreamers. These are the children of illegal immigrants who came here. They're not at fault. And I agree. They're not at fault. However, and this is a mighty big however, how do you figure out how you're going to tackle the problem of 600,000 or more people to immigrate and integrate them into your society? Can you just wave a banner and say, hey, they're citizens and they're good? This actually harkens back to the clip I played. I can't remember if it was last episode or the episode prior from Milton Freeman, who talked about free immigration. It's one thing if you have free immigration to welfare or free immigration to jobs. Because if you have immigration to welfare and it's a welfare-based immigration and you're just going to toss money and solve the problems of these people, 
with no regard to how you're going to pay for it and how you're going to keep it going. And then you wonder why everybody wants to come to America because America is going to take care of them. That's not the job of the government. It's not the job of the government. Now, these 600,000 kids, you know, the, there, there was talks from people on how to handle the 600,000 immigrants. And Rand Paul was somebody who, who brought it up. And I just want to play you this clip from Rand Paul. Um, I'm actually somewhat sympathetic to uh, the kids who have been here for most of their lives. But I'm also sympathetic to the idea you can't have no rules. I mean, you just can't. I'm um, sympathetic to Milton Friedman's point when he said uh, you can't have open borders in a welfare state. we got a lot of free stuff in our country. Free health care no matter what. Free education no matter what. Up through 12 grades. That's just a big expense. You just can't have the whole world come. There was a, a survey by Pew one time. I think it was Pew or Gallup. And they surveyed the world and then they extrapolated. And they said 700 million people would come here if they could. So we've got to have some rules. Now, with the DACA kids, what I proposed is the compromise is they're here, they're illegal, and you want to make them legal. We accept about a million people a year uh, through green cards who then go get on the track to become citizens. Make the DACA uh, kids part of the million. Now, there's a million of them, so they would take up a whole year's worth of immigration. So let's say you wanted to not be take up all the slots. Let's say we divide them into uh, segments of 200,000. We admit them over five years. We internally immigrate them over five years, but they count against the numbers. So for the people on the right, we say we're not expanding immigration. We're not necessarily rewarding. We're not going to take 1.2 million next year. We're going to take 1 million and 200,000 slots of the people who've lived here 15, 20 years. And then I think that to me would be the reasonable compromise. I don't think that's, that's what I'm promoting. I don't think we'll get that. I think what we'll get is um, you'll do DACA and it'll pass and then they'll throw a bunch of money at a wall or some security stuff. And in the end, the last comprehensive bill, one of the reasons I opposed it is they actually had too much money for border security. They just threw billions and billions and billions trying to get conservatives on board with the immigration reform. With immigration in general, most, most immigrants are, are an asset to our country. Most of them are good people. Most of them are hardworking people and should be looked at that way. But it still doesn't mean I'm for an open border. With DACA, you should have to obey the law. And one good thing about it, I know everybody wants, it's popular to hate the president right now. But the thing is, is that he did something. He's going to force Congress to do their job. That, I mean, that's what he's, you know, if you read his Twitter account, that's what he's saying. He wants us to do <laughs> telling us to do our job. And it's true. I'm, and in fact, I'm trying to do something similar to that. That was, a, that was an eye-opening statement when I, when I heard it for the first time during the shutdown. Because, uh, again, a lot of it was Democrats upset that DACA wasn't being tackled. Not related to funding the government whatsoever. It was not related to anything that they were voting on with that bill in particular. And by the way, Rand Paul voted against that bill because he does not approve of the continual stopgap funding that the, that the government does. In case you didn't follow along with this program over the past couple of uh, months, you know, the government was looming towards a shutdown in uh, November and then looming towards a shutdown in December and then looming and was shut down just now. And this bill only funds it through February such and such. So guess what? That's another looming deadline because all it is is kicking the can down the road and they're not focusing on other things. And they're using the budgeting as hostage for other things. 
And you heard in Rand Paul's statement there, the DACA kids, again, you know, 600,000, you know, close to a million or whatever. And just now, by the way, too, the White House has announced that they are pushing forward legislation to admit 1.3 million, I believe, in immigration. All right, right now the bill is called the uh, Securing... It's called the uh, Securing the Border, Reforming Legal Immigration, and Giving DACA Recipients Legal Status. It is the Securing America's Future Act, a.k.a. House Bill 4760. And it uh, it hopes to aim at all those things in immigration. All those things. And here's the question. What is actually going to get pushed forward is things like Rand Paul's suggestion of... You want to bring in and legalize the DACA kids, it needs to count against current immigration because if you bang the gavel and just say these 600,000 are exempt from that, plus we're going to do what we're normally doing, it becomes a game of overwhelming yourself. And we can't do that. We can't overwhelm ourselves. If, if, that, Pew, if that Pew Research poll is right and 700 million people would immigrate here to the United States, if anybody's sitting there thinking, that's great, bring them all in, What's your plan for bringing them all in? How do you intend to integrate them into the society and not have the whole thing cave? There needs to be some rules. There needs to be some regulation. There needs to be some of that going on. But if people want to come here and immigrate here, they should be able to do it easily. As thoroughly as we can with as few hurdles as we need to get people who want to be productive members of society in the game. Why not? And that's why it's it's this shutdown thing that happened, which, by the way, it was a grandstanding thing. It was, it was a chess game between two political parties. This is why we go back and talk about how the, du- how the duopoly and power struggle in Washington, D.C. is so bad. If you, think it was, if you think the shutdown was anything for any legitimate reason, I find that laughable. I find it completely laughable. The shutdown was grandstanding from both sides to see who would come out on top and gain some momentum for 2018 midterm elections. That's what I truly believe happened. Spearheaded by the Democratic side to play hardball, make it an emotional case about these poor little kids that came in through no fault of their own, which... I'm sympathetic to that. The, the, the kids that are here that DACA was protecting, which DACA was an executive order, so we don't like executive orders here. I mean, we don't. I don't. I don't like executive power to the, of the president just to wave his hand and, and have something go on an executive order, whether it's Donald Trump, Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Ronald Reagan, whatever. So I'm sympathetic to the I'm sympathetic to them. They should be, yeah, you're here. You can be productive members of society. We can bring you in. We're going to have to count you against our allowable immigration numbers, whatever that number is that we came up with because we just can't snap our fingers and act like it's not a non-existent problem. Is that fair to people who want to come in the 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 right way? Um maybe it's not, but life isn't always fair. 
And if you think the government's going to make it fair, ha! <laughs> Woo, you are so far gone. Um, that that That's something that... Those are the compromises that need to be made. And why all this grandstanding? Why face a government shutdown? Why have these federal employees who are, you know, non-essential personnel and even essential personnel, why should all those employees of other government agencies have to face uncertainty about their pay and reporting to work and doing their best job when the guys that are arguing and bickering over it and causing the shutdown, they don't they don't suffer from that. They don't they don't feel the pain of that. Chuck Schumer didn't feel the pain of a government shutdown. He still got paid. They all still got paid. Oh what? They had to sit through a session of Congress late into the night and bicker and whine and moan back and forth at each other like a bunch of babies, which is a relatively easy job. I don't know what to tell you. I, d- I don't know what to tell you. But this is why there's there's now legislation being worked on so that government funding can't be tied into other issues and bills that need to be debated. And I believe Rand Paul and a couple other people are working on that one to push through so that stuff like this stops. But you know what really needs to stop is the stopgap funding. At the end of the day, you had a stopgap funding bill which was voted down, which shut down the government over an issue that had nothing to do with it in the first place. Where does this make sense? Where does this make sense to keep going like this? The government is not serving the people anymore. That's what that is. It's not serving the people anymore, not when they can do that little stunt. Time and again, Republicans did it under Obama. Democrats did it under Trump. The pendulum swings back and forth and duopoly keeps on going. And people wonder why independent America is increasingly growing because most of us get tired of that crap. That's what it is. There's literally no other way to put it. Why jazz it up with fancier words and longer sentences? It's crap. It's terrible quality in our leadership. And unfortunately, there are few quality leaders, few people that will stand on their principles, few people that will think of the compromises, few people who will look at the whole picture and say, if we want X, Y, Z, then we have to do X, Y, Z over here. That's what I want to leave you guys with. That's what I want to leave you guys with because uh, I've had a long week and I need to cut it off a little bit short, but it is what it is. Um, so what are your guys' thoughts on this? Like the XFL coming back, the NFL, the Super Bowl coming up, uh, the government shutting down over, you know, whatever. And stab gap funding, just, you know, keep keep the wheels on spinning. And now the White House says they're going to work on the DACA stuff. Are they? Are they not? Did the Democrats get played and cave? What's going on? It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks to come. Speaking of interesting things to come, I got some NFL Philadelphia Eagles related stuff that I'm pumping out before the Super Bowl comes out. Uh, I haven't decided exactly what format I'm going to do, if I'm going to do blog, if I'm going to do podcast, or if I'm going to do videocast. 
Uh, could be a, a couple, it could be a couple of things. It could be a combo of things. But the Eagles and the NFL stuff, I'm going to put separate. So that for you non-sportsing fans out there, you don't have to watch it or listen to it if you don't want to. You can get the just the boring old politics stuff if that's what you if, if that's what you crave, then that's what you crave. And God knows I have a billion podcasts that I have to catch up on in the coming days from this past week that I missed uh, regarding some of the stuff that we just talked about and some of the stuff that's not talked about. One of the things I didn't even get to talk about is like you want to talk about government and what what they pick and choose to do. The Delaware legislature is talking about switching terms in the Delaware state song to gender-neutral terms because I believe it uses male pronouns. The song is over 200 years old or whatever. And here's the kicker. Probably only 10% of Delaware knows that Delaware has a state song. I didn't, you know, I didn't know Delaware had a state song, nor did I care because it's Delaware. Who cares? But they push a bill talking about switching the state song to gender-neutral terms, a song from, from 200, 300 years ago. Do we really need, even need a state song? Do we? I, I, I'm not sure that we need a state song. I just I don't think we do. And why are we debating it? Why are people getting paid to debate and talk about that? You know, because Delaware isn't in a budget crisis, but hey, you know, the song from 200 years ago, it's not very inclusive of all the genders. Can we make the terms gender neutral from a song that was, you know, 200 years ago when society was all patriarchal and stuff? Can we change it to reflect that now? And they're going to actually sit and debate that. They're going to sit and debate, well, let's not change it because it's history. Well, yeah, no, let's change it because the times progress. And I'm sitting here like, Delaware is lame. Delaware doesn't even deserve a song right now. Like, can, can, we, can we get the budget figured out? Can we figure out how Delaware is going to stop from sinking into the Atlantic Ocean? Which I don't even think is an actual problem. I'm not entirely sure. But I also, just because of the internet and stuff, I also read a story somewhere that apparently the actual end of the earth, the Bible says, is going to be in 2018. Doesn't this pop up? Every couple of years, the world's going to end. I don't know. I don't know. I'm looking to pass legislation to look at how we're going to stop the sun from burning out whenever it's going to burn out. We don't even know when it's going to burn out. Can you believe that? They say it's going to be billions of years. How do they even know? Is there a meter? Is there is there some juice? Is there some way to like measure the juice in the sun and see, like, you know, oh, it's going to go out soon. Damn. What are we going to do? I don't know. Keep that stuff in mind. But, guys, remember, I love you. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at FritzQS on Twitter. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn. Just look up FritzCast. Uh, Facebook.com slash the FritzCast. FritzCast.wordpress.com, my main hub for my blog and all my other jazz. And that is getting updated. It's getting an overhaul. Um, I'm working on that as we speak. So in the coming week or so, it should have a redesign and look prettier and more presentable than it has been in the past. Um, so that'll be great too. And if you want to contact me via email, it is fritzcastpodcast at gmail.com. Guys, keep an eye out for my Eagles episodes because I don't know if you guys knew this, but the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles are taking on the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 52. And it's going to be great. It's going to be one of the greatest Super Bowls ever. Maybe. Maybe. We'll figure it out. I'm taking the humble route. All right. And just remember. 
Empires fall. Love you. Bye.